Well, members, August 15th, 2019. You are listening to 99.5 FM WBAI in New York, New York, and online at WBAI.org. That was entirely correct. You're listening to WBAI New York. The time now is 5 o'clock. Celeste and Jeff are in place. You're tuned to listener-sponsored WBAI in New York, Pacifica Radio at 99.5 FM, streaming at WBAI.org. In a moment, we'll join Mimi Rosenberg. She has a timely special to present today. Kneeling. That's not entirely true. The first one was true, but this is not. Truth is now ready. We have Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons in place for another edition of Driving Forces, coming at you right now. not been that good yeah i know well uh i'm i'm feeling a little bit uh, cooler a little happier these days yeah um, and i love the fact that in a short while our listeners are going to hear a segment you did out uh, my big question for you is did you do this wonderful segment that we're going to talk about in a few moments out in the heat yes wow good intrepid <laughs> reporter wonderful i i'm i listened to it earlier i think our listeners are going to love this segment Thank on uh, mayor de blasio but uh, we will get to that uh, shortly yeah so absolutely there's a lot going on in politics this week obviously uh muller fever has gripped the nation that was a little bit of an overstatement that was actually an extreme overstatement that was the biggest overstatement ever heard on wbai new york <laughs> uh but the president was kind of excited about it. Yeah, he seemed to feel that uh, he won in this whole thing, you know, that Democrats were, def- their hopes of impeachment were deflated. Yeah, I think that he certainly, and, and you know, I mean, to be fair, what what really did you expect him to say? Like, oh, God, I'm doomed. I mean, of course he was going to say, look, they had nothing. They never had anything. What does he usually say? No collusion, no obstruction. But I think there is a sort of a fair argument out there that if Democrats were looking for some sort of knockout punch to say, look, this guy is absolutely prime material for impeachment. I don't I don't think we saw that. But he did indicate that the president was not exonerated completely. Yeah, he did. And there were there were a couple of zingers in there that he uh, did not uh, he was not truthful with questioners, was not cooperative and so on. And foreshadowed the 2020 uh, elections uh, and the possibility of uh, Russian interference. Right. And interestingly enough, a lot of people are talking today about a new report Mm -hmm. from the Senate Intelligence Committee that talks about just that, about uh, Russian interference in the 2016 campaign for president. And uh, what is Congress going to do about that? I think Mitch McConnell has a a couple of ideas about not doing something Mm -hmm. about that, from what I can tell briefly, just from uh, glancing on that. Uh, at that on the way in here. But uh, yeah, as we said, we are going to come up to this program, uh, this segment that I did about uh, one of the presidential candidates, Bill de Blasio, who's running for mayor. But uh, before we do that, and before we uh, get to our guests and get to your calls, just want to remind everybody, as usual, that uh, all this public affairs programming that you hear Uh, driving forces included and all the programs that you hear in this strip we really rely on you to keep that on the air and the way you can do that is you can become a wbai buddy oh like me like you you. and you and 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 james i hope james yes James, James is definitely a subscriber. Oh, I, figured, yeah, I figured you were with your, wonder, with your wonderful tan that listeners can't see. Uh, <laughs> he is so tan you can hear it on the radio. So being a BAI buddy, 
what I do when I signed up, I give a recurring donation once a month comes right out of, you know, I guess it, it gets charged right to my credit card. I don't even pay attention anymore because for me, it's like the back of my hand. It is there. I do this. I want to do this. I feel it supports WBAI, keeps us on the air, keeps this great commercial free programming on. Uh, and, you know, it was simple. I went online, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you could do it multiple ways. I went online. Two, well, like two minutes probably that's all it took probably less where did you go jeff well, i went to give to wbai.org but even easier if you are listening to us don't do it while you're listening to us right now if you want to hear everything wait until i'd say the commercial but really wait until uh you know uh, you have some time right afterwards but write down this number 516-620-3602 that number is 516-620-3602 being a bai buddy you feel you feel great because you're supporting WBAI. You really do. You keep this diversity of progressive voices on the air, even though I think Celeste and I are a little more conservative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you keep uh, you keep this wonderful station on the air. Absolutely. And you also support, it's looking better every day. You haven't been down the hall yet, Celeste. The new sound studio very is exciting. looking much better. It's very, getting very there. About this. And the quality of the programming is going to just... It dramatically increase when this I know you I know I know you as listeners will miss the sound of rain pitter pattering <laughs> on the skylight as we uh, try to try to produce programs here in the uh, or sirens or sirens or uh, you know uh, somebody washing their hands down the hall in the bathroom so if you want to make that all go away and you can here's the number one more time 516-620-3602 to donate to WBAI and by the way if you do donate if you call in and pledge or go online to give to wbai.org today for a generous donation of $50 you will get a gift of one of two great politics books by authors we've had here. Uh, James, you were off that day and you missed a really good show. Um, uh, We had two authors in, Alan Salkin, uh, who wrote The Method to the Madness with Aaron Short. The Method to the Madness is about Donald Trump, looks into his mindset. They had some amazing insights. The other book is The Best People by Alexander Nazarian. Both of them took listener calls, explained what, you know, in Alex's case, assessed his Trump's cabinet and how, you know, the Trump is saying that it's the best people he's hired. Uh, I think we've seen that that has not always been the often rather hasn't the case. seemed to play out that way. <laughs> no. But if you donate $50, please then note that you would like to receive one of these books, The Method to the Madness by Alan Salkin and Aaron Short, who was a guest early, a few months ago with us, or The Best People by Alex Nazarian. Uh, you can go to WBAI.org. You can even text WBAI to 41444. Absolutely. So just remember the number 516-620-3602 or go to WBAI.org to donate. So Celeste and I, and probably you, James, are anxiously awaiting, anxiously awaiting next week's uh, two nights of presidential debates. And on one of those nights, on uh, Wednesday, July 31st, Mayor de Blasio will take the stage with uh, nine other men and women who are running for president. So Celeste wondered what New Yorkers think of Mayor de Blasio running for president. So she picked up her microphone, ignored the heat wave, ran outside, and found out. Bill de Blasio has been traveling the country to let America know he thinks he'd make a great president. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. This discussion we're about to have over these next couple of years is going to be about a lot of things, but one of the things is going to be about actually serving people every day and making sure their lives get better and not talk but action. And I just want to say we mayors know all about that. Seeing things that I may never see again. I can't wait to get on the road again. But some New Yorkers say they're not so sure he's even making that good of a mayor. It probably didn't help that when Gotham recently got hit by a major blackout, de Blasio ended up having to defend the job he did overseeing the recovery from out on the campaign trail in Iowa, over a thousand miles away from City Hall. CNN's Jake Tapper was just one of those who confronted the mayor about being out on the stump during the crisis, instead of here with the people who elected him to run the show. 
What do you say to, to his constituents who say, hey, we elected you to run New York City, not to go to Iowa for a quixotic presidential campaign? Jake, uh, I am responsible for making sure that everything in New York City is handled quickly, handled well. Uh, I want to say the whole team responded immediately the way everyone's been trained to do. Uh, we had top officials on the site coordinating the response. First responders were there quickly, got a lot of information out to people. Uh, when you're a mayor or a governor, you're going to travel for a variety of reasons. The important thing is to have the hand on the wheel, make sure things are moving effectively and communicate to people. Uh, even from uh, where I was, I was able to do that right away with the people in New York City. It wasn't the only time de Blasio argued he'd done right by his city, and it hasn't kept him off the road. But people taking a break in sunny Madison Square Park not long ago had no problem throwing shade at the mayor's quest to become the next president. Oh, my God! <laughs> Isn't the one we have bad enough? Marie, who lives in Manhattan, got a big laugh out of the thought of de Blasio even imagining himself in the Oval Office. That won't last long. He won't get money. I mean, everybody knows he's a late... I'm being nice. He's a lame duck mayor. Is his ego that large? Apparently so. I mean, does he listen to the news? Does he listen to his PR and marketing? I mean, he can't not know that he's a lame duck. And what makes him think that he could get elected president? Especially with all the other incredibly capable people that are running. A few park benches down, Jerry from Brooklyn wasn't exactly stocking up on de Blasio for president t-shirts either. I don't like him as a mayor to begin with, so I don't think I'm going to like him as a president. His policies or his stance on a lot of issues, dealing with educational issues, uh, 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 criminal issues, they, they affect me, but he not, he's not really paying attention to them. He's not really doing anything about them. And those are the things that really affect me the most. I got nieces and nephews and criminal justice system, of course, affects um, people from my community. So those are the things that matter to me, and he's not really paying attention to them, so I'm not paying attention to him. Not only did Jerry say de Blasio can't make it to the White House, he can't see how he can pull off being a mayor and being a national candidate at the same time. No. No. It's impossible. It's a hard enough job to run one office. You're going to try to do two at the same No. Don't make no sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Morris, from the east side, went even further. He predicts Trump will win a second term, partly because the Democratic field is so overcrowded with long-shot candidates like Bill de Blasio. Right or wrong, I think Trump is going to win by a landslide because I think the Democrats are mired in themselves and weaken themselves because people like Bill de Blasio that have a 1% sort of approval rating amongst 20 other players in the field. I think they would do best with like five people running so that they could rally behind one another. But let's see, maybe Bill can do it. Maybe de Blasio could win the Democratic nomination battle, Morris said, but that doesn't mean he can win the war. I think he, I think he could do it because the fact that Biden has a lot of money and things like that, Jeb Bush had a lot of money. Trump disrupted the whole system because he showed that you can win as in like an underdog. So maybe Bill de Blasio can do it, but amongst the Democrats, but I still think he would lose against Trump. I don't think he runs a city that much to begin with. <laughs> he's, he's a busy guy. <laughs> but maybe he could do it. De Blasio has tried to position himself as a unique choice, a progressive who's not interested in the squishy middle ground of democratic politics, but who also has the distinction of running the biggest city in America. He certainly came into his first debate performance on NBC ready to scrap, like when he got into it with Beto O'Rourke of Texas on health care. Would you replace private insurance? No, I, I think the choice is, is fundamental hey, to wait, wait. our ability to get wrong. everybody yeah, careful. Private insurance is not working for tens of millions of Americans. When you talk about the co-pays, the deductibles, the premiums, the out-of-pocket expenses, it's not working. <coughs> that's How right. can you so, defend so for the those system for that's not, it is not working? working they can choose Medicare. For the culinary workers in you Nevada who are listening to acknowledging the negotiated system is not Back at the park, away from the cameras, Peter from Elizabeth, New Jersey, says he thinks de Blasio's heart seems like it's in the right place. I like him. Nationally, I don't think he's well-known enough. And I don't think he's done bad in New York. I mean, no. it's a tough city. You can never get somebody who's liked by everybody. But, you know, 
seems like a good guy interested in making some changes. And it's not that de Blasio is totally unknown or unliked outside the five boroughs. Just ask Sue from San Francisco. I've heard good things about him. I know people that really like him. I know he was in the mermaid parade. That's always a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, with his wife. I think they were the king and queen, right? Yeah, yeah, I remember that year, yeah. To be fair, Bill de Blasio is far from the only man, or woman, who's running for president while holding elective office. Thanks to term limits, his days at City Hall are numbered. He's going to need a new gig soon. Even if his campaign flames out, de Blasio will have introduced himself and his ideas to the country on a grand stage. For sure, the odds makers don't give him much chance of winning in 2020. But back in 2013, they didn't give him much chance of becoming mayor of New York, either. Elections are unpredictable. Who's to say Americans might not have a thing for guys from New York who aren't afraid to mix it up? In 2016, after all, they sent one to the White House. The big difference, of course, is that when Donald Trump ran for president, he didn't have the responsibility of millions of constituents expecting him to keep the trains running, the streets safe, and the lights on. Bill de Blasio does. And New Yorkers like Mary, who was talking to her sister, Christine, on the phone from Madison Square Park, have no problem reminding him he's got a day job. He's not a capable mayor, so he's not a capable, he would not be a capable president. And my sister said the same thing. He doesn't run the city, he does nothing, traffic is horrendous, homelessness is horrendous, and he's never on time for any of his meetings. Anything else you want to say? No, you can't say that. From the sound of it, Mayor de Blasio's got some work to do to convince some in his hometown that he's the right guy to lead the entire country. In 2013, he picked the song Royals for his victory night party. What tune will his fans be singing in 2020? Stay tuned. For WBAI New York, I'm Celeste Katz. So some of the sound you heard in that piece about uh, Mayor de Blasio from Mayor de Blasio came from the Des Moines Register, CNN and NBC. And I'd like to thank all of them for that. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I would like to especially thank Jonathan Marston for all his encouragement and help in producing that segment, which I'm very happy with. So happy with, in fact then I'm going to marry him. And I am making that announcement on the air here at WBAI today. I am getting married to the love of my life, a guy I met in 1996. Jeff looks a little hurt right now, and James doesn't look too excited Holy either. Holy <laughs> I got a little worried looking at the list right there. <laughs> so, honey, if you're driving, be careful. But, uh, yeah, actually, uh, uh, really, really excited about uh, about that. More excited, in fact, than the segment, although it's pretty close, pretty close. But uh, good news, and you you can hear what, what a great job he did, and I'm sure he will uh, do as great of a job in life. So that's my uh, that's my breaking story well, for today. That kind of <laughs> blows away, blows out of the water all the questions I just had about this piece since, you know, I want to ask a million questions about uh, this latest breaking news. But uh, more seriously, let me, yeah. congratulations. Thank you. I thought I was the love of your life, but we'll talk about that after the show. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I hope that your two listeners from Florida were aware of this news, by the way. I yes, I believe they were they were quite quite aware of the uh, the developing story there. Maybe they'll call in. Uh, so when you visited Madison Square Park and did these interviews, I'm really curious if the people you spoke with focused more on national issues when they talked about him, or they got hyper local, like talking about the blackout or certain police community relations here in the city. How is the balance of the opinions? Like, 
you know, I think it was it was interesting to talk to people, and it, it sort of depended. There was really an array. I know that sounds like kind of a kind of a way to slip out of the question, but it's very true. But I think a lot of people were just sort of astonished that in such a big field with these very very well known characters, with people with a lot of money, with a lot of national name ID and so on, that uh, Mayor De Blasio would even give this a try. And as we said in the piece, yeah, he, he's uh, not getting. Big Big ups from the odds makers, but then again, I covered the 2013 mayor's race, and he was not supposed to win that one either. And you also chose Madison Square Park, which uh, because I work in Flatiron, uh, I work in Flatiron a lot. I know is frequented by a lot of tourists, tourists, but there's also a good mix of yeah. residents, of workers. So, around what time of day did you go? Because I'm curious about the mix of people you approach. Yeah, it was during the. I mean, it was during the day. It was during the afternoon, uh, but the way I try to mix it up with those kinds of things is I try to do it near a subway station. Mm. And there's, of course, a, a subway station right there, the uh, the never and the rarely, the I mean, the, 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 the N and the R, right? So that's uh, you know, a way to get people from different parts of the city. The, the guy from Finland, to be honest, didn't have a lot to say, but uh, he didn't really have strong opinions on Mayor de Blasio running for president. But a lot of the other people I spoke to really did. And when you, you know, having been a reporter at New York One and you when you stand near a subway, as people emerge from the subway, you can often often tell immediately who's a tourist and who's a New Yorker because of the way they look around or don't look. And But New Yorkers often are like, I'm busy right now. I got to move forward. So it's good that you were able to get capture. You know, I love the giggling woman. Uh, you know, but capture a variety of voices. So uh, any final thoughts on this piece before we get to our first guest? No, just glad that we were able to do it. And I think it does show that uh, Mayor de Blasio faces uh, some of the same issues that uh, a lot of the other candidates face. They may do well with certain groups nationwide, but when you go to their hometown, the people who really, really know them might have uh, have a bone to pick here and there. Okay, and as we go to our first guest, James is going to search for some music, uh, uh, maybe going to the chapel or something that we can end Pull the show yourself with together. today. Okay, <laughs> anyway, so let's go to our first guest. Our first guest is Tim Miller, who is the founder of the consulting firm Lightfuse Communications. He's all also a contributor to The Bulwark. Uh, he was the communications director for Jeb Bush 2016, and after that campaign ended, he served as senior advisor to the top Republican political action committee aimed at defeating Donald Trump. Tim, welcome to Driving Forces. We didn't do very good in that uh, in that main aim. <laughs> but it sounds like you are trying to make up for it now, Tim, right? Defeating Donald Trump. Yeah, well, currently I'm rage-tweeting with Senator Mike Lee's communications director who's defending the you know, nearly month-long detention of an American citizen who did nothing wrong except for be brown-skinned and be in the car with undocumented immigrants. So, you know, I, I don't know if that's penance enough for letting Donald Trump beat us, but uh, it's, it's all I've got at this point. And in fact, Tim, I was reading your Twitter feed uh, before the show started. For our listeners, can you just talk a little about the Francisco, uh, I pronounce it Galicia case? Yeah, I, I think it's Galicia. I think that's right. Um, uh, you know, this one really struck a nerve with me. You know, look, and, and I don't want to minimize the, the conditions that, that immigrants are in and asylum seekers are in, but, but this kid, he's 18 years old. He's, he's in Texas. This is, he didn't cross the border. He, he's driving from one place in Texas to another, to a soccer camp, uh, with two other kids. One was his brother, who's an undocumented immigrant. Um, and one, and uh, another, a friend of theirs, who also was undocumented. They get stopped by a border patrol, um, uh, it, you know, checkpoint. Uh, the two undocumented immigrants get taken away uh, by the border patrol. Uh, Francisco shows them his state-issued ID, Texas ID, and he's carrying his birth certificate with him because he knows this is, you know, something that he is susceptible to as a young Latino. Uh, that despite having those two documents, the, the Fed still thought he was suspicious. So they brought him in, fingerprinted him, found an old travel visa that his mom signed that had some faulty information on it. Without letting him call a lawyer, without letting him call his mother, they put him in a cage with 60 other uh, uh, immigrants uh, that you know were trying to uh, ask for asylum coming into this country. He stayed in that cage for 21 days. With no no uh, uh, no place to sleep, no showers, very little food, no access to the outside world. Finally, a lawyer got him transferred to another uh, facility, and he was released a couple of days later. But uh, I, this is 
inhuman and, and it's not it sounds like something out of north korea you know and and it's shocking to me that this is not national leading the national news um because it highlights the conditions that all of these immigrants are going through but but it also highlights just how haphazard and shoddy and racist the trump uh border patrol and ice is in enforcing these laws well, that's where I wanted to go with that, Tim. I, you know, is is there, is it right to blame the Trump administration, sort of writ large? Is it the border patrol? Is it a couple of agents that that were just completely derelict in their duty? How do you how do you sort that out? Sure. I, I mean, I've had some pushback on this because I've been, you know, uh, I wrote an article for the Bulwark about it. I have another one coming in USA Today tomorrow, so I've gotten some feedback from people who say. You know, this has this type of thing has happened, not nearly as, as bad with the length of detention and the and the terrible nature in which he was treated in the detention, but this type of thing has happened, you know, dating back to twenty twelve really. Um, and and so part of it is, you know, systemic within the border patrol and ICE. That said, you know, if it was something that the Trump administration was trying to fix Somebody would have said something about it. Uh, this is a national news story in the Washington Post, New York Times, Dallas News. Uh, the Trump administration, uh, you know, Trump's tweeting right now about ASAP Rocky. Nothing against ASAP Rocky, um, but you know, it's, it's obviously possible to get his attention about somebody's wrongful detention. Um, you know, maybe we need Kim or Kanye to call him to care about this American citizen kid who's detained in our own country. So, uh, you know, I, I think that there's some reason to believe that they've exacerbated it uh, by, um, and I'm forgetting the technical term here, but the, it's sort of an expedited. Uh, deportation process that, that I think allows for a little bit more haphazard, you know, kind of vetting of, of situations like this. So there are reasons why he's exacerbated it, but it, you know, it is something that's been a systemic problem with the Border Patrol for a while now. And maybe that brings us to a, a larger question. And just if you're sure. joining us right now, uh, this is WBAI's Driving Forces. You're listening to 99.5 FM, and we are streaming live from New York at WBAI.org, talking to Tim Miller, a uh, longtime Republican strategist and communicator who, uh, and this gets me to the question, Tim, is having some very different thoughts these days about Republicanism, if you want to call it that, and the conservative media in the "quote unquote" age of Trump. Uh, yeah. Where Where are you on this right now? And well, tell, look, I, I mean, know, I've been telling people I haven't really changed my views on much. I, I, I guess what I've done is changed my priorities. Um, you know, David Frum, I think, had that line, and he said that the Trump administration has really clarified for a lot of people what their priorities are. I mean, look, I always worked for you know relative moderates on immigration. You know, McCain and Jeb. Um, you know, I always was relatively moderate on certain, you know, social issues and other issues. Um, but, you know, the, the priorities of you know, having a constitutional government, having a limited government, having an America that was strong in the world and fighting for freedom, those were all the things that led me to be a Republican. Trump has undermined all those in shocking ways. And I, I just I said to somebody on DM earlier, I was like, as, as long as we're putting uh, American citizens, into cages because they're brown. Like, I'm a one-issue voter on American citizens having the constitutional right to defend themselves and to have a lawyer and to avoid being racially profiled. And so as long as the Trump administration is doing that, as long as he's undermining our position in the world, uh, it's hard for me to, to relate to what's happening right now in the conservative movement. And I know, I know for a fact that a lot of people in the conservative media and, and a lot of people that work for Trump and work for these senators agree with me privately. But they're all scared of getting crossways with Trump. And, and so, you know, they're going to uh, go to 11 on pretend outrages like, you know, Stephen Crowder getting banned from YouTube or the, you know, Canadian transgender woman. Like, your listeners probably haven't even heard of these fake controversies that they make up on, on, on conservative websites because they can't talk about the real outrages that are happening because they, they fear it'll get them crossways with Trump. And so that's been very frustrating for me. And so while my views haven't really changed on issues, my priorities have, and I, I find myself extremely, you know, unable to uh, to give any sort of aid to uh, the, the you know, Republican Party as it stands now. So, uh, Tim, you're very active on social media, and uh, recently 
Unfortunately. Uh, you recently pointed out a thread that also ended up being a piece in the Washington Post about what Democrats should and should not do to defeat yeah. Donald Trump. Basically, it, it set up a 20 it set up 2020 as a choice between anti-Trump forces calling the president out as a white supremacist or basically normalizing him and his administration by arguing over who has the best policy ideas. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah, look, I, I think I'm concerned about what's happening with Dem- Democrats. don't like to take advice from Republicans, so I'll just caveat it with that. But I, I'm concerned about what's happening in the Democratic primary, that there is this kind of conventional wisdom that, that being the true, the most true progressive on the issues is the best way to win this primary and is the best way to beat Trump. And, and I just, I'm not certain that that's true. And I, and I think that, um, you know, the man that wrote that article is a Democrat who campaigned against David Duke. And I think he made a compelling point that, that he's not asking people to moderate on the issues. What he's asking is to, to make to the American people a case about just how, how extreme and racist and bigoted and outside of the American tradition Trump is. And to focus on that and to contrast on issues as well. And, to fo- and when you're contrasting on issues, to, to focus on popular issues. You know, look, if you look at this border issue, I'm as liberal as you can get on it. But, but you know, the DREAM Act has 90% support. Pathway to Citizenship has 70% support. Um, um, uh, a blanket, you know, insurance for everyone that comes across the border has like 20% support. So wh- why trade a 90% issue for a 20% issue? You know, the point that this guy was making was take a, a big thematic, anti-Trump arguments to the voters and su- and supplement that with popular issues. And that's a path to victory. And, and I thought he made a compelling case for that. It's, it's something that I agree with. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons here on Driving Forces speaking with Tim Miller. And Tim, speaking of uh, that one of the things that uh, Jeff and I talked about after the first round of debates was that what we didn't come away with was a really big sense that everybody went in there to sort of pile on Trump and just, you know set themselves up as the as the, the guy or girl to, to to knock him out of the Oval Office. What are you expecting for for next week? Are we going to see more of that? Or are we going to see more of the same? I, hopefully, some more. I, I'm concerned that, that you're going to see more infighting. Uh, in the next debates, because the lesson that might be taken away from the first debates is that Kamala, you know, had the best um, media coverage in the on the fall from the debate and saw the best bump in the polls, and that was on the back of her attack on on Biden. So I'm, I'm concerned that that's the lesson that these candidates are going to take. I I just don't get it. I, I I don't understand. And Biden, I think this is in theory his his case, but but he did not enunciate it very well in the first debate. I don't get why the argument is not being made. That, this, that Donald Trump is a national emergency. Like it is a national emergency that Donald Trump is the president. Look at what's happening with, uh, you know, Galicia. Take, take whatever two, three issues you're the most passionate about and make a blue-in-the-face passionate case about why we need to get rid of Trump immediately. And, and then, you know, point out that it, that is the North Star that this party should have right now, not these little internecine spats over how exactly we're going to reform the healthcare system. Like, those are fine debates to have, but, like, but, but we should not be tearing each other apart over that. Nobody, uh, you know, what we need to be doing is, is putting ourselves in the best position to beat him. Uh, you know, nobody made that argument. Uh, maybe somebody will, will do that this time. I'm not, I'm not certain, but I, I, I really, I'm actually concerned that it will go the other way and there'll actually be more, more infighting. Do you have uh, any opinion on who is sort of best equipped to make that argument, to come out there and say, look, this is ultimately about getting Donald Trump out of the White House. His values are not our values. And anybody on that stage, I'm sure, could say that and believe it. Do you think there's anybody who's particularly equipped to deliver that message? Uh, you know, I think if Biden uh, you know, still had it, he would be the best. I'm concerned, you know, that his performance to date has not been great. You know, maybe he can, maybe, you know, he's been off the trail for a while, though. Maybe he's just getting his juices flowing. You know, I, I think Warren is kind of ill-equipped to make it. Um, but besides that, I, I do, I'm with you. I think that anybody else could make it. I think Kamala could make it. I think uh, Pete could make it. I think Beto could make it. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, Biden... That was the whole reason for his, the reason Detra, for him getting in the race was making this argument, but he hasn't been able to do it in a very compelling way to date. Maybe that changes in the second debate. I hope so. 
So you haven't decided who you're going to vote for in the Democratic primary, is what you're saying. I'm sitting out the Democratic primary. I'm hoping <laughs> some Republican gets in. Or I'm going to throw my vote away on Bill Weld if I have to. Or, you know, I'll vote forever in the Republican primary. And then, uh, and then I'll let the Democrats decide, you know, who I'm going to be stuck with in the general election. So it's a dark place being a uh, small government anti-Trumper these days. But uh, it's the hand we're dealt. And, and, the, and the outrages of Trump are just too great to, to consider any other option. So, Tim Miller, if people want to know more about you and your work, where can they find you? Where can they read you? Where can they see you? Uh, uh, TheBulwark.com is the new home for uh, uh, the few, the proud, the never-Trump conservatives. So please check out my reading and others there. And then on Twitter, unfortunately, I'm there too much. Tim ODC. Tim ODC. Tim Miller, thanks for joining us here today on Driving Sources. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, girl. See you. Peace. He called you girl. Why don't you try that and see what happens? <laughs> so... Obviously, a thread through today's interviews will be the presidential race. Uh, and with our next guest in a few moments, we're going to talk about the uh, the testimony of Robert Mueller yesterday. I do want to remind our listeners that after uh, our next guest, uh, our lines will be open for the final minutes of the show. And that listener call-in number will be 212-209-2877. Celeste, what do you want people to uh, call and ask us or to, to talk about? You can talk about what do you expect from the debates next week. You can talk about what you think of Bill de Blasio running for president of the United States. You happy with that? Not happy with that? Uh, certainly Tim Miller that we just spoke to brought up a lot of issues about uh, immigration and about uh, how, how migrants and uh, people who are legally in this country as well as people who are here undocumented are being treated by the government. So the number to call will be 212-209-2877. And I do want to remind our listeners, we are in the summer fundraising drive. And if you do get a moment to call and would like to contribute to be able to support commercial-free radio, uh, the number is 516-620-3602. You can sign up to become a BAI buddy. Uh, go online at give to wbai.org or call us at 516-620-3602. And if you donate $50 today, you can get a gift of one of two fantastic new politics books by authors that we've had join us here on Driving Forces. You can choose from The Best People by Alexander Nazarian or The Method to the Madness by Aaron Short and Alan Sokin, who is a former New York Post reporter. That is true. That is true. So remember the number to call. And by the way, if uh, you, have, you have a lot of choices when you donate to WBAI, you are supporting independent commercial free radio but you can also get some cool swag you can get the tote bag you can get the t-shirt you can get the uh the discounts uh and the perks with the museums and the memberships and so on so give it a call uh, 516-620-3602 516-620-3602 keep wbai's legacy alive keep independent radio programming alive here in new york so I mentioned that Alan Sokin was a former uh, New York Post reporter, and that brings us to our next guest. Nice segue, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, joining us now, as a matter of fact, is Michael Benjamin. He's the associate editorial page editor for the New York Post. Uh, before that, he worked as a contributing columnist as a consultant as well on the government side. And this is how I met him. He represented District 79 in the New York State Assembly from 2006 to 2010. Uh, he's also been a board of elections official and a member of community boards in the Bronx, the beautiful Bronx. So, Assemblyman, thank you for joining joining us here on Driving Forces. Thank you. Glad to be there. I was in the assembly from 2003 to 2010. Okay, well, some guy sent me the wrong information, <laughs> and I just cut and paste, and I don't, but but I will have a word. i got to talk to him. Yeah, uh, you're talking to him now. <laughs> Say hi. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, but we're all, we're all, I'm, I'm going to work through that with my team of therapists, but in, in, in the meantime, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, uh, the uh, the Mueller moment, what, uh, amazing, surprising, overwhelmed, underwhelmed, what did you think? Um, underwhelmed. Uh, editorially, we were underwhelmed. Personally, I was underwhelmed. But we knew going in that Mr. Mueller wasn't going to say much beyond what was in his report, and he was, you know, and he made himself constrained to that. 
He was never going to say Congress has to Congress can consider impeachment because he hinted at it broadly in the report, and it's not his place to do that. And in your view, did his testimony essentially put a nail in the coffin of any impeachment efforts? Uh, I think the nails were already there. Uh, I think maybe a couple were hammered in further because the Democrats, if they wish, they can pull the trigger on impeachment. But they know that they can they cannot get a conviction. What's the point of impeachment without conviction? And conviction is nearly impossible in the, in the Senate, which is controlled by the Republicans. And, you know, you uh, said that it was underwhelming. I had a very similar impression. Um, and I'm, I'm curious if, though, there were any significant takeaways for you, things that were revelations, even if they're not going to have a dramatic impact on, you know, any type of impeachment hearings. Were there any, you know, any key insights that our listeners might want to know about? Yeah, the insight that, that he actually believed that there was enough evidence there that had President Trump been an ordinary American who, who was involved in a case and had tried to get his underlings or, or staff to not cooperate or to do things that would, in essence, obstruct justice, he would have been indicted and brought to trial. I mean, I think that was the most clear thing that a person could walk away with. And the second thing that was obvious was that there was Russian interference, and there continues to be Russian interference, and the U.S. Congress has done nothing to try to stop it for affecting the 2020 elections. Or to put Mr. Putin and his, and his, and his, and his spies and underlings and trolls uh, on notice. And, and you, as, as uh, somebody who's been directly involved, not only in elective, holding elective office, but in the workings of the election system right here in New York. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to check out what Mitch McConnell had to say about, about the urgency of, uh, of addressing these, these potential weaknesses in our election system. But uh, it didn't seem to be rushing for the door to, uh, to get that done. No, and that's what should disturb every American who cares about our system, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or Independent, if you care about the nation and, this, and our elections and how they're conducted and they're, they're not influenced you know, by, by subversive and, and subverted by foreign, foreign intelligence organizations and foreign governments, you know, they should be angry at him in the Senate and, and the rest of the Congress for not moving forward on increasing uh, ballot security. So on the show today, we've been talking about uh, the upcoming presidential debates next week. And standing on that stage on night number two is going to be Mayor de Blasio. And earlier in the show, uh, Celeste's beautiful piece uh, involved a number uh, of reactions to him running for president. Uh, and I'm really curious, you know, what you think of his campaign. What do you think of his decision to run and how it's going to affect the city? It's entirely underwhelming. Performance is underwhelming. His rationale for running for president has been underwhelming. Um, you know, the only good thing for New York is that he's out of town when he's running for president. I know he has not been the most um, hands-on or most effective, uh, I guess, manager of, of, of the city administration. Yes, they've had some successes. Crime continues to, to fall. Um, we're trying to build more housing. Um, you know, he, he's going to be working on trying to close Rikers and then building on new jails. Those things are important. But, you know, we still have the issue with uh, public housing and NYCHA. And, and it's continuing dysfunction and, 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 I guess, cultural dysfunction within the organization. It is overpaying of an out-of-towner to, uh, you know, to now run it in conjunction with uh, Mr. Bart Schwartz, the uh, the federal monitor. And those things are concerning, and I think New York, I think voters outside New York, may want to ask about his ability, you know, to run the city. Um, the fact that his departments have like three monitors. I believe the fire department has a monitor, the F, the uh, NYPD has a monitor, and now uh, the housing, uh, public housing, and NYCHA has a monitor. I, I think those are things that speak directly to uh, you know to his abilities. Do you believe that he believes that he could win this? Oh, of course. Any, any, anybody who runs a public office, as I've done it at least twice, and for the Assembly for City Council, of course you don't believe in you can win. You believe that you have the, the appropriate answers for that the public's looking for. But I don't think he's able to deliver his message uh, quite well. And a, num- a number of the other candidates are actually have, a, have similar 
uh, have similar, uh, you know, agendas and talking points and things they claim they want to accomplish for, for, for Americans. I mean, he's going to say that he's the only one on the stage that's actually delivered. He's delivered, you know, a pre-K. You know, but that's still in, I guess, it's early birth stages. It's not in every school. It's not in every school district. Not every New York child that has pre-K available to, to him or her. And much of it is still relying on community nonprofits. I believe two-thirds of the children that are in uh, pre-K are in community nonprofits that are, that are paid much less than, uh, than unionized uh, teachers at, uh, in New York City public schools. And as far as the debates uh, generally go, debates don't always change people's minds about who they're going to vote for. It's pretty early. There are a lot of candidates out there, and and people, I think, often just by nature tend to notice when somebody blows it, when they make a huge mistake, versus whether they say something that's sort of interesting and and worth thinking over later. But who do you think is uh, has the most to gain or to lose in the the next round of debates? Oh, obviously, former Vice President Joe Biden has the most to lose. Uh, you know, he, he was Obama's uh, vice president. He served in the, in the Senate for, uh, what, 30 years or so, if not more. Um, and he's been hit for his uh, past opposition to court-ordered school busing. Um, and so it, it's, it's been hard on him. But, you know, I'm told that you know, among a constituency, African-American constituency in South Carolina and across the nation, he remains uh, popular. And he's the name that a lot of folks, uh, you know, still still know. Uh, but other than making breakthroughs, I mean, you know, Kamala Harris hasn't moved much uh, since she debated uh, uh, Vice President Biden. But you know, she she earned some additional media credit. Uh, she, she's earned. She's gotten more donations. But it's still an open contest. It's it's basically the top three are Biden, Warren, and Sanders, and everybody else is coming coming in, in behind. Um, don't know what's going to be required. Or breakthrough moments, but as you said, it's still very early. This is what the, the second round of debates coming up, mm-hmm. um, so it, it's still early for people to be able to finally, I guess, find their sea legs and to organize. I think or, whoever is the most organized is going to win the first set of primaries. And it's not so much you know being on TV for a beauty contest. It's what are you doing on the ground in Iowa, South Carolina, and Nevada, and, and New Hampshire. If you're organized there, then I think you have a good shot and uh, coming, coming away with, with the nomination. And next week, do you expect that uh, police-community relations might be a pivotal topic given what Mayor Pete has uh, encountered and even recently what Mayor de Blasio has, even in talking about his discussion with his son, uh, but even over the last few days and his response to mm-hmm. the police officers getting doused with water in Harlem and uh, and Brooklyn. I mean, today Trump basically criticized him, saying uh, that it was a total disgrace, and then the mayor kind of snapped back that Trump is partly responsible for the tension that's created a scenario like this. Yeah, I, I think it definitely ought to come up. It's a major issue. I mean, you had the shooting in South Bend, and so that was an issue for um, Mayor Pete. Uh, this should be an issue for the mayor. Um, you also have a former mayor on the stage, too, and, and Senator Cory Booker. He has things he has to talk about, and, and he should have to, he should be forced to discuss. As well as Kamala Harris being a, a very aggressive uh, district attorney in San Francisco and, a, uh, and the uh, state attorney general in, uh, in California. They all have some sort of law, law enforcement involvement. Uh, there are also those, there are many of them are also trying to make nice with the African-American minority community who have in some instances, have had uh, poor encounters with the police, and 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 there's a level of distrust. Um, there's a lot going on. I think the mayor has to has to be has to be answerable to that. What disturbs me, though, is how policing and law enforcement on the local level has been federalized. You know, whether it's the sending of uh, you know uh, military equipment to police departments and sheriff's offices, or it's or it's the federal government getting involved in in funding police departments' uh, salaries and adding more police officers. I think that's has been sort of a disturbing trend for me. And do you see it changing with uh, a change in the party of the sitting president? Or No, I mean, um, it, it, much of it started with Nixon, through Carter, through, uh, through Bill Clinton. Uh, it, it's not going to change. Every, every candidate who's running for office wants to, wants to federalize more and more of state and local authority. And to me, that's not the way the nation was designed to be. It's designed to be a, a decentralized government where close to the ground, people have more control over their state and local government, 
and not so much a distant government in Washington, D.C., you know, calling the shots. And I, and I really wish some of the uh, candidates running for president would, would begin to recognize that and, and begin to pull back some of that. Yes, yeah, some of the important things like na- national defense, you know, maybe uh, you know, national, national health care, those are things that, that can be dis- ought to be discussed on a national level, drug pricing. But local law enforcement, beyond uh, not violating uh, people's rights and, and obeying uh, precedents set down by the uh, Supreme Court, really ought not to be in the purview uh, of the federal government. So we've got just about a minute left. Uh, you want to give our listeners any insight into what The Post is going to be editorializing on tomorrow? Well, you know, we're, we're always looking at, at local government and, and how things function. I mean, you have the NTA. I mean, as Mayor de Blasio has withdrawn from any kind of confrontation with the government over the NTA and letting him call all the shots, you know, we have an NTA that basically, through congestion pricing, is going to take over our city streets. Um, and you have the, the, the governor's organization plan, which is, uh, you know, which when, it's, when, it's, when you really look at it, can be problematic for the agency and for, uh, and for New Yorkers. But at least we know he's the guy responsible. But he's also the guy who's 150 miles away in, in Albany, New York. He's not on the ground here daily taking a subway with the rest of us. But he was mm-hmm. sweating it out here in Manhattan when we had the blackout. Oh, of course. Yeah. He was coming <laughs> to run to the microphone to, to assert that, that he's in charge. That's nice, you know, but he's not in the manhole trying to, trying to get, get things fixed. So I'm certain he'd love to be down there with his socket wrench and his wire cutters <laughs> pretending that he knows what he's doing. Uh, I get that. <laughs> we certainly get that. Uh, you know, we also you know, have other kinds of concerns, you know, with uh, State Commission, Chief Commissioner uh, Mary Ellen Aaliyah leaving uh, at the end of August, you know, we're concerned with, will the regions continue to water down graduation standards? There's already question. talk that, that they're looking at ditching, you know, the regents' exams as a measure, as a metric for graduation, and, and in, order, in our view, in, in order to falsely boost graduation rates. You know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how old you guys are and whether you grew up in New York, but at one time in New York you had a local diploma and you had a regents' diploma for those who were going on to college, which at least gave the college an opportunity to, under, to, to know that those persons with a regents diploma um, are able to do college-level work. Yeah, I remember. It, it, and you want to know, Michael Benjamin of the New York Post, why I remember the regents' exam so well was the, the year I sat for biology, uh, the, the kids one class ahead of me sat for the chemistry regents. Ah, yeah. And it was the famous New York Post uh, cover with the answers to the test, and the headline was easy as pie. So those kids got to go home, and I had to sit there sweating it out over, uh, over some hot biology regents. So I would like to thank you and and the New York Post from the bottom of my heart for that experience. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was in college, I think. I might have been in college. I might have been working. Don't my first, try my to make an excuse about this now. <laughs> Michael Benjamin, where can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, well, of course, the New York Post. I mean, uh, I'm beginning now to, I'm settled now. I'm going to start getting back to trying to write uh, reg- regular columns on city and state and, and federal uh, policies and the things that affect New Yorkers. Um, it looks for me online at uh, Square Peg, Square Peg Dem uh, on Twitter. Uh, I do I do a lot of tweeting uh, on a lot of issues and, and sharing my thoughts, particularly now thoughts about you know cyclists cycling and cycling deaths and what and the responsibility cyclists have to take in order to, to save their own lives and to have New York is much more accepting of, of biking on, on city streets. Great. Well, thank you so much, Michael Benjamin of New York Post. Been a pleasure to have you here on Driving Forces. Thank you. So phone lines are open. We've got only a few minutes left, but we do want to give you a chance, and we're sorry it's so short, 212-209-2877. Give us a call. Let us know what you think about the Mayor de Blasio's run for the presidency, about the Mueller hearings yesterday. We've got a few minutes, 212-209-2877. So, Celeste, was that note that you passed me saying, in lieu of wedding gifts, become a BAI buddy? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, what, you mean the, the note that you wrote out and then passed to me to pass <laughs> back to you? Yes, no, actually, that is a very good point. And uh, uh, there, there's, no wrong, there's no wrong occasion, really, 
There's no wrong occasion really to support WBAI. And sincerely, and I'll have I'll have even more even more news about this later. But uh, in all sincerity, uh, WBAI has been a great experience, and I would like to thank you, you, Jeff Simmons. <laughs> and I'm pointing to James okay. <laughs> for uh, for inviting me to be your co-host of this program. We've been here together since September. I'm sure to you it seems a lot longer. Well, for me, I just reflect on when you know we were both young and on the campaign trail. Me as a uh, uh, you know as David Patterson's communication guy when he was running for lieutenant governor, and you as a young scrappy reporter covering the campaign. Yeah, I feel I'm I'm thinking back to that. Very interesting. I think you were. I think when you first started covering campaign. Campaigns. I was what maybe like a cluster of cells or or something like that. I don't know. Uh, you know, lear- learning how to write my name. But no. But in all seriousness, um, it has been really, really, really important to me. And I hope it's important to you that WBAI provides uh, a kind of radio here in New York City that you just you really just don't get anywhere else. We don't have commercials. A lot of the people here are volunteers who put uh, a lot of time and effort and a lot of heart into this radio station. And you can help us bring bring more of that programming to New York, you know, especially at a time where we really need independent media to be to be on solid ground. The number to call 516-620-3602. It doesn't have to be a ton of money. Start small, work your way up. Uh, five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, but do make the call 516-620. 3602 or you can just go to wbai.org to donate or text wbai to 41444 and if you can donate $50 today when you call up uh, please let them know that you would like to receive one of the books that Celeste has lined up uh, from these wonderful authors who we've uh, had on the show. Uh, one is called The Best People by Alexander Nazarian, and the other is The Method to the Madness by Alan Sokin and Aaron Short. Both books are about Donald Trump and his presidency and uh, his cabinet. That's the uh, the best people. The Method to the Madness is about his mindset. These are really amazing books and for a $50 donation you can receive either of them today so um, you know, it's, it's good it's good reading I'm uh, into already the best people I'm enjoying this uh, and I'll give I'll pass it along to you when I'm done Celeste. yeah no these are absolutely uh, these, these are cool things but there's a lot of cool things about being uh, being part of WBAI after your contributions uh, reach just a very small amount like 25 bucks you become a member of this station so be a part of your own independent commercial free radio programming give to wbai.org we are wrapping up right now we're going to have to wrap up next week i'm sure we're going to talk about the presidential uh debates because they're on on tuesday and wednesday we're very excited about that absolutely and if you missed any part of the show check us out on soundcloud itunes and stitcher Great end theme music, which we will have to do on every one of the subsequent shows. You I'm guys sure are bad. The Florida audience right now is dancing to this. You are bad. Thank you for listening to Driving Forces here, Celeste Katz, Jeff Simmons, and of course the honorable, honorable James Ursay every Thursday at 5 right here on WBAI New York. Coming up at the top of the hour, we have Sojourner Truth and Capitalism. Stay with us. Sun will shine. Whoa, ho, ho. I'll be 
It's a lovely day here in New York City. The time now is 6 o'clock, and you're listening to WBAI New York. You knew that.